What up, gang? It's episode 57. That's Heinz ketchup for you. And on this episode, I'm looking like a straight-up lumberjack right now on the YouTube. So if you guys can watch on YouTube, if you guys aren't subscribed and all that, make sure you go into the description and find a link. It's going to all be there for you. And you can find out ways to support the podcast. We really appreciate you already being right here with us right now and being um, part of our community. So... You're already doing something just by just by your ears being massaged right now by some some waves of sound. You know what I mean? But more importantly here, more importantly, losing focus already, is Julian Fraser is going to be on today's episode. And this guy is an amazing human being. He is making some big waves in the SPL regional circuits. You're going to look out for him at NEPC this year for sure. He is only been training for maybe just over a year, but he's been crushing out these speed competitions, um, having a really meteoric rise to the top of the, you know, at least the local and regional competition circuits. And I'm really excited to see how his, he's a former track and field athlete that's bringing that competitive and athletic edge in, in his background forward with him into our community. And also, and really what's cool about Julian is that he's studying and getting his PhD in counseling psychology. And he has, you know, he does sports psychology and he's really insightful on the the dynamics and the nature and the psychology of sport and camp and competition. And so we got to dive into all kinds of cool stuff on that. You know, I've not competed in a while, but I really got to remember and, and relive and think about some of these parkour speed um, journeys that I've been on and how they relate to the things that he's doing and the similar parallels there. Not only that, but his dissertation, his thesis and his PhD is, is all about death and how death and the fear of it relates to the work that you do and the legacy that you strive to build and why you try to do it. And there's so many really insightful and cool things that we get into and Man, I don't even remember, honestly. Yeah, I'm going to have to listen to this one with you guys because I know there was some juiciness in there that I want to revisit. Um, thank you again, Julian, for coming on. It was a pleasure. Shout out to the, to the was it Modus or Brumen? I think it was Brumen that put out the Vibes video, which I stole the song for this week's episode off of them. And shout out to uh, Frosty, who's going to be on our next episode. So thank you guys for tuning in. Let's get into it without further Ado, let's go right now with the man, Julian Frazier. I'm still like a, like a little bit out of breath. <laughs> I know, I'm me like, too, dude. Uh, I'm like... Uh, my cardiovascular health. We just did uh, 50, no, 40 push-ups. You did about 50 with clapping ones at the end. I think I did, I did 40 and then I did five clapping just to well, finish it off. That might as well have been. I did one giant drop-in push-up, uh-huh. you know, and then Bad I did style. the one... Barely got a clap off push up at the end after 40. I, I, I counted it. <laughs> it was good. It was good. You know, my dad used to make me do a shitload of push ups when I was growing up. Huh. Like, that was part of my punishment. That was punishment was, for you. That was punishment until it wasn't. I turned it around and flipped it on him. Oh. I was like, you know what? I like doing push ups now. I'll do fucking was, extra ones. Was that? Like you were saying. That was punchment for you. So I I had the privilege of doing push ups when I was a kid. Oh nice. Well, I mean, yeah, eventually it felt like privilege. Then they started getting other punishment. <laughs> once you realized I was into the fun once you realized I was down with the push ups, he was like, It's not working anymore. Yeah, I gotta change it. I gotta up the ante a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um but let's get this thing popping off Absolutely. because you know, I always like to start a little groove in this mix. Yeah. Set and the mood. So to speak. Well, let's just see what you think of this track. It's been my, uh, as of late, a nice jam for me. Funky. 
smooth groovy jazzy even uh. and this is that late mac miller with the tiny desk concert on npr mm-hmm. with thundercat Got a little, little that uh, <laughs> Motown sound. Yeah. That bass. Make sure this isn't on. Yeah. You can love it. You can leave it. Say nothing without it. Don't let them keep you down. What if I don't need it? But there's something about it. That just freaks me out. Okay. <clears throat> oh yeah. All right. We'll let that first verse. That was. Uh, that's all you need. That was plenty. That was good. You like that? I'm, see, I'm a huge fan of it as well. Yeah, it's a good uh, get your feet wet a little bit. Makes you want to go back for a little bit more. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, let's just get in there. Then. Oh no 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you, you, you come back to it. It's like yeah. oh, it's a little tease. That's what it is. Yeah. There you go. I like that. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate here. you being here. It's my pleasure. Really. It's uh, it's been a little bit of a time coming. Like I think we talked about doing this. Like I don't know. Since ago, like we first months. met, even maybe I was yeah. like, "Oh, I have a podcast," and you're like, "Actually, I listened sure. to it," and I was like, "No shit." Yeah. Well, you should come on because uh, <laughs> you have a lot to say. I feel like, or you definitely you're at least more to say than <laughs> than I do. Because I'm usually talking about dicks on here. I just wrapped up an episode with Vinny, right? And um, it's often where I end up. Man, how how would you feel about making this like a dick free interview? How what? Well, I already blew it, didn't I? I mean, no, don't worry. From we, here we, on forward, we can, here we forward. can set some boundaries now. Yeah, yeah. Go. No, I appreciate that, and I think that's exactly what we'll do. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's <sighs> let's skip that that whole domain. All right. I mean, I mean, challenge accepted. All right, I'm All with right. it. So that unless would, it feels authentic, unless it, unless it feels authentic, unless there's a unless real reason to go there, something comes up, something's from a real Floyd, reason to go, yeah. Uh, and uh, you got to bring it up. He smoked a lot of cigarettes, and they the cigars have a very particular shape. So yeah, you know, sometimes the cigars just a cigar is what they Absolutely. said. Right? I'm so but glad then, you knew that quote. I'm so yeah. glad. <laughs> mm. um, cool, man. Well, uh, for those who don't know, <clears throat> let me give you a little bit of an introduction here because yeah. I think you deserve. Um, one and Appreciate there's a uh, basically here's how I know you. He's like you yeah. started competing at some of the various competitions, you know, being held here in Colorado, parkour speed competitions. Mm-hmm. You come from a track and field athletic background, yep. and you're also studying to become a uh, get your PhD in forgive me some kind of type of psychology. Yeah, I'm counseling, sure. psychology. counseling psychology. They're all, they're all the same. They just yeah. kind of put them in different schools. Okay, for okay, and semantic um, reasons. Let me just type that out of our ears so we can focus <laughs> um, the um, and you've been crushing these challenges and you kind of came out of the woodwork and I think that was one of the coolest things about uh, just seeing you is you reminded me in some ways of my journey through parkour mm. and speed and competition mm-hmm. because I came into the game and I was telling you this earlier kind of late like I started training actually at right. about 21 years mm-hmm. old and I was like basically about to finish college and you know I felt like I was more grown for sure than a lot of the people that I now am like good friends with that were in, mm. in this community. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I ran into a really severe injury my, my first year of training. So mm-hmm. I 
when I came back and I still wanted to do it, I was like, all right, I'm committed. And I felt like I, I had a sense of, um, I sense the same kind of like purpose to what you're doing right. in the sport. That's all I could say. You know, like I feel like you're here to play around and have fun and for enjoy sure. the community, but also for other reasons. Is that accurate? Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I, I feel, I feel like that's pretty accurate. It, it's weird because I mean, you, you notice, you talk about the age difference and I've always feel like I've been a late bloomer. I've always feel mm-hmm. like I've been late or <laughs> late to almost every game that, yeah, I, yeah. that I've been Me to. Too. And, uh, and, and when you, you know, compete in sports, like structure otherwise from a very young age. So I, I remember my first sport was soccer and then moved into track, but um, it, it almost becomes a part of your DNA, like your mm. epigenetics. Like it, it activates something in you and the way that your brain is structured that you, you don't just stop. So you go from track and field, um, I ran the 400 for five years at the University of Tulsa. It was like, okay, what's what's next? Like, what's the next thing? Because I can't just stop. That there's an entire part of myself that I would have to put on the bench, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was. I was like, when I came out to Denver, I moved out here. I was like, okay, I gotta try something. It's gonna be like parkour or or skiing or, or you know Muay Thai. I gotta try something. And the first thing I tried was uh, parkour. And I uh, I had an intro class with um, Austin Lutz, who was. Uh, uh, himself a, a track and field yeah, athlete yeah. so you know we, we kind of spoke the same language mm. and he made you know uh, parkour very re- relatable to me and then when i found out that there were speed competitions it was game over like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly man that's awesome yeah i um and what drew you like to parkour initially i guess was it just like just muay thai that all just seemed interesting enough right i, yeah. I don't think i could do something that was traditional or, or mainstream like mm. i don't think i could pick up like a recreational sport like yeah and when i say recreational i mean like go from playing soccer at a high level it's like okay i'm just gonna play on the weekend warrior yeah, team yeah. like i had i had to find something that would push myself um and it, it felt like it had to be something a little more extreme a little bit out mm. of the box a little bit outside of you know my comfort zone we were talking about a little bit yeah. about how important that was um and it just happened to to be that i moved to a place with a great community to do that you lucked out. I was I born here, so I really lucked out. <laughs> um, the the competitions. Let's get into that a little bit because, sure. like, you know, that's a fascinating territory for 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 me and obviously for you. Yeah. And like, well, I guess just to start, like, what's your experience been like competing in in parkour competitions? Like, what's your assessment? You know, you've only been. I don't know how long you've considered sure. yourself training and being yeah. participating in this, but you're, I would consider you something someone who's making waves for someone how for how long you've spent in the sport yeah you know you're kind of like oh out of nowhere there's like some <laughs> of this new there's this new person in town crushing these challenges out right well i i definitely appreciate that i, <laughs> I think participating is a good word I, I don't know if i would consider myself a parkour athlete mm-hmm. i think i'm an athlete that like does parkour <laughs> um, yeah because i mean you you see cats out here like jared nahulu who like came out of the womb doing parkour <laughs> and like and he does these things that are absolutely mind boggling to me. And, Mm -hmm. and I am humbled and reminded so often, um, that, you know, my gateway, my entry to parkour was that I was already strong and fast Mm. from, you know, a decade plus of organized sport of soccer and track and field. Um, so it was a little bit easier for me to get into that scene and, Mm -hmm. and having a, a competitive background, I was kind of familiar with what that space felt like, Yeah, but it felt like to compete. Um, and then, after that, it's been a journey of trying to catch up, mm-hmm. um, you know, the skills, the technique, yeah. all of the experience. Um, 
to to the environment that I, I'm putting myself in. I feel that big time because yeah, that's partly why I was able to do, you know, some of the things I was able to do in competition was I just felt like maybe, you know, I had, I had some background in comp- competition as well, like, right. And whatever. And I, but mostly it was just like, I wasn't necessarily as skilled. I was able to use mm. like just a little extra focus or drive to want these yeah. things and, and to push myself further than, you know, I think, that when people first got into parkour, it's like generation by generation. Mm-hmm. The very first practitioners obviously are getting in for pure right. love of, of yeah. just like play. And mm-hmm. that's basically all it was. And then as it develops more and more, there's like different avenues that develop right. and people that get gravitate towards those avenues, you know, it attracts different people. Like I'm a competitive person as right. well. So I got attracted into the competitive side of parkour right. in the same way. And because I was competing against people that didn't necessarily get into parkour for any of that, mm-hmm. you know, and I had this kind of like a hybrid, even though I wasn't as skilled, I, I always saw myself, I'm like, oh God, I don't feel like I should be yeah, even yeah. competing against these guys. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I can't believe I'm doing as well as I am because I'm sloppy a little bit, but I'm just like, I oh, just have aggression right. for it. Yep. I, I feel <laughs> that. You, I mean, I, stuff on, I went to the Apex International last year and you, I mean, you compete against people like Joseph Henderson who mm. are like absolute technicians yeah. doing crazy things, jumping as far, if not further than I have. And I'm like, how is this kid out here doing, <laughs> doing these massive crazy things? And like, I feel like I'm stronger and faster, but somehow he, he can tap into something that I can't. And mm. you get that imposter syndrome where you're mm. like, yeah, man, like, like, man, there's part of me that feels like I don't, be, I don't belong here yet. Yeah. There's part of me that feels like I'm not ready for this. Um, and that, that definitely gets in your head in terms of the competition piece, but that's part of the, the growth and development process is feeling like one day I will come to this stage and feel like I belong here mm. with, with these people. And that, that's how you kind of like work through it. I mean, that's kind of like how I did it. Like in a way that's partly, I guess what your training can be about, right. you know, it's just like not necessarily comparing yourself to other people, but just knowing that like you're actually at the level that you could be right you know and and you say not necessarily comparing yourself to other people like absolutely comparing yourself to other people yeah maybe not in a way that is um pessimistic or or that Mm. tears myself down but being really honest with myself in terms of where i stand compared to someone like that yeah it's a sensitive yeah people get a little too sensitive about it including myself i know what you mean i'll be unapologetic about those things we we're we're members of a social species we can't help but compare ourselves to one another yeah it's nonsense to think that you don't right and to to then compare yourself to someone it's not the comparison itself it's the thought that follows that Mm. is the comparison say um, let me see how I stack up against this person and then to appraise that there's something wrong with me. Exactly. Um, that's the negative that's part. The, yeah. It's the thought that follows oh, the comparison. Th- yeah, yeah. That's right. 100%. That's a huge healthy distinction to make because, yeah, it's it's not that I didn't compare myself. I'm like, oh, this is what's possible. Right. You know, like you see somebody else, well, there's a other famous quote, like what one man can do, another man can do. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily true. Sure. But like, right. But it's true enough that you, you, it's important, you get inspired off of that. And right. like knowing that, um, you can use that energy to help believe in yourself. Right. right? And yeah. like, and then the, but the, the healthy comparison, I guess, is to make against yourself. And that one, you might actually mm-hmm. be able to engage with, like, do you feel bad about it? Because that one, it makes sense to, you know, in some yeah. ways, like if you're not better than you used to be, or in a way that's important to you, it can right. guide you back on the path of, of development again. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, it's hard because people think of the path of development as being linear, as being straight. Mm. And 
and even I have to constantly remind myself that sometimes you have to take a step back to take a step forward. To, yeah, to, yeah. To one step back, two steps forward kind of thing. Um, so if I'm comparing myself today as I was yesterday, there, there might be some things that I'm not as sharp at, but it's all part of that process that there is kind of an ebb and flow. There's kind mm-hmm. of a, a, a process where, man, I, I thought I had that thing and it turns out I suck. And <laughs> let's get back to the, uh, go back to the drawing board, so to speak. But um, I, I think that there are healthy ways of using those things because they are things that are built into what it means to be human. Mm. You can't take comparison out of the game without trying to isolate yourself entirely. Um, so I, I, I don't know. People have different opinions about competition and about comparison. And um, I feel as though those aren't going to be things that disappear from my life. So I might as well have the healthiest relationship with them that I yeah. can. Yeah. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Like, wh- what would you say to the person who's like, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm against parkour competition. Hmm. You know, that, that there's a voice out there that is against competition happening in parkour. Right. And regardless, that, and I want to take this outside of fig and all that bullshit because sure. obviously like Try that takes carries a whole other thing with it. But um, um, what, what would I say to them or what would I be thinking about? Thank thinking? you. Let me tell me <laughs> that thought. Uh, because if someone said that, I'd probably let them be where they're at mm. with that. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. That's their opinion. It's not my job to go around. Yeah. hundred percent. Imposing myself on other people. But, um, I don't know. There's part of me that feels as though that's a, a cop out yeah. in some ways to say that there isn't some sort of competition. Cause even if it's a jam or, or something like that, there's still, there's still some element of competition happening. Mm. Um, and it's, and I think it's more against the idea of competition as there being winners and losers and there's be people on a podium and people getting prize money in the, and the, the political side of things. But I think to, to say, Oh, what I'm doing is not, important enough to be a competition, to be organized. It's not important enough. Mm. Um, it's just play. It's no big deal. Who cares who wins, who lost? What you're doing is you are diluting or downgrading the importance of the mm-hmm. thing that you're doing. Mm. So why are you spending all your time and energy doing this thing, <laughs> but you're not willing to value it? Or when, yeah. when someone challenges you to value it, you you go, oh, no, I, you have to step away and shy away and say, no, uh, this, this is just for fun. It doesn't matter. Well, it does matter because you were putting a lot of time and energy into it, my friend. <laughs> yeah, your life is about it right. in so many ways. Yeah. And perhaps the distinction that they'd like to draw and maybe, you know, there's fewer people out there that actually are against it, I think, than, mm. than even it seems like, right. you know, that are actually um, opposed to it. And, I, and what, I, what I also agree with you is like there's not only are you diluting it and downplaying its mm. importance, but you're you're trying to control something that's not yours. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, it's not yours to begin with. Do whatever you want to do with it. Yeah. But it doesn't take away from the fact that other people can use it the way they want to use it. Absolutely. And I think there's a, there's a difference between like people who see themselves as, you know, I've been talking recently about this with other, um, just people in my life about right. artists and athletes. Mm-hmm. And some people see it more as a martial art or kind mm-hmm. of an art form. And they, they don't want to, cheapen the art form right absolutely you know yeah and that makes sense to me but it doesn't make sense that they can't live independently of each other yeah that's that's a, that's the distance yeah it, it it's kind of an all or nothing kind of take mm-hmm. on things because i feel like once you reach a certain level of mastery in anything that it can become an art form mm. that that you recognize the art in anything that yeah like so track and field is for exactly. all intents and purposes like just running 
And but, any, anyone watching but, someone run fast is like, oh, there's a fast person. But if I watch someone run fast, I'm looking at the form, I'm looking at their knee drive, their arms. It's like, man, they run beautifully. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Exactly. And that's what, that's what annoys me too. It's like, if you don't understand the art of athleticism, mm-hmm. right. then you don't actually understand it enough right. in some ways. Or you could understand it better. Yeah. So, but that's, that's what I'm thinking. That's what's going through my mind is don't, don't cheapen the thing that you do. Because Mm -hmm. even if you call parkour, um, just the art of movement or a a passive martial art, you know, there's still ways that you can find it meaningful and important. And you can call that competition or not. Don't cheapen what you do, Mm. um, or, or devalue it. So that's what's going on in my, my mind. I'm not going to say that because I'm trying to respect where that person's at and it might not be the time or place, but Sure. And you feel like, you know, again, if you're, if you're feeling any of that imposter syndrome stuff, right. it's like, you're new to this community in some mm-hmm. ways. And like, you're, you're testing the waters out. I mean, yeah. I'm curious to see, because as someone who was a late bloomer too, I like, there was a lot of, it's a lot, a lot has changed even since when I got in, Right. you know, when I got in, there was so much underdeveloped mm-hmm. compared to now that it was like super fun building it out. Now there's right. more to participate and yeah. engage with. And, um, I guess uh, what what do you think of uh, of the the culture and the community in in terms of like where it's headed and what do you like about it? Mm. You, you know that's actually been one of the things that has been most fun is learning about the culture and learning mm. about the history and and even it's like very recent stuff because I think I kind of started pursuing parkour more competitively or more seriously. Um, as like you and your contemporaries are kind of like on your way out. Mm-hmm. So when I'd start hearing certain names come up in conversation, you know, the Dylan Bakers, the Brandon Douglases, I'm like, okay, who, who are these people? Let me go figure this out. Well, you say that, but you're part of a legacy, right? That, that there was a legacy um, of the identity of parkour. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's that whole like infamous series that they had just started, you know, on the, yeah, yeah, YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. And then tracing it back and saying, okay, where do I fit into this, this picture, this lineage? And um, you see that it kind of, it happens with a lot of new sports. It happens with, you know, uh, snowboarding, skiing, it happens with um, skateboarding, that uh, it kind of transitions through this adolescent phase. And I feel like parkour might be in that kind of adolescent phase yeah. where it's figuring out its its identity. <laughs> and, yeah, and, big time. And then once it, once it kind of, settle once the dust settles a little bit then it will be easier for the world to recognize parkour for for what it really is mm. instead of um maybe some naive notions of it being a daredevil sport and um, a bunch of reckless kids and delinquents jumping on roofs you know? <laughs> which i mean and what do you i mean yeah because that's fascinating to me that's actually really a mm. weird and like kind of a touchy thing in a way but right. because you know part of me is like i don't obviously i don't want to alienate or try to disparage the the thing that I love. Right. But I do feel that, that there is that adolescence in, in what we do. Right. And I've perpetuated it, you know, part of, you know, and, and part of what, like I was doing when I was building Merm and stuff was, mm-hmm. was really having a lot of fun. And, and even yeah. with this podcast, like I, I take it to levels where I like to be sometimes serious, but often very tongue in cheek or very right. ridiculous, right. you know? And, for me, I like to see the completeness of something. Mm. I like to see it build out in every way, in every domain. I don't right. think it has to be boxed in. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the messages I'm trying to carry forward in some ways is like, that's why, you know, just like we evolved as from one trans- one phase to the next, like right. parkour evolves, yeah. but also it's going to still leave behind the adolescence. Right. That stuff doesn't necessarily go away. Maybe it does, but I don't, I don't think that, 
I don't know. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I yeah. guess like on like, do you think that we're actually going to get to a place where there's not adolescents jumping off a of ruse and like doing borderline <laughs> shit where it's right. like, are you, and, and is that, I don't even see that as a necessarily a negative thing. Sure. Right. It's and like, it's a, it, this is like a self-discovery phase of, mm-hmm. of life is when you're right. I think it's, when I kind of use the term adolescence as like that transition to adulthood in some ways, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's that exploration of identity. It's that coming into one's own maturity, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because in, in the minds of a lot of folks, they think of, they think of parkour and the first thing is hardcore parkour. And they think of office episodes, right? And, and then to me is, <laughs> but if I talk about soccer or basketball or football or one of these other, you know, sports that are more mainstream, it mm-hmm. creates a picture in someone's head of a mature sport with rules, with, with regular structure. It makes sense to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's a process of maturity. And when I say adolescence, I don't mean that the humor can't always be there, that the yeah. playfulness, that the tongue in cheek can't always be there, that those can't be elements of what it means for parkour to be mature. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's also really smart to acknowledge, you know, we're not there yet. Like mm-hmm. we, there's plenty of room to grow. And in some ways that is optimistic, that's hopeful yeah. to say that we do have so much room to grow. Yeah, as a community, as a sport, as uh, whatever you want to call it, hundred percent. And there needs to be something there for for people that do feel like they're growing right. up mm-hmm. and growing out of the adolescence. Yeah. You know, like I, I just don't feel the same pull to to watch some of the things that I would watch when I was younger. Right. Definitely, even like five years ago. Definitely when I was like fourteen or thirteen. Yep. And I'm not gonna be hating on any of that, but I'm for not sure. compelled to make content like that or for that audience or. Yeah. Or engage with those kinds of things. Right. You know, it's so and I, I feel your thing. I don't know why there's resistance sometimes mm. in the community to be like football, to be like soccer, to be like one yeah. of these mainstream things. Uh, I think it's, it's like you said, it's a cop out to think that because because those things, because the lay person doesn't think of the beauty of foot, the game of football, or the <laughs> right. beauty, the soul of soccer. Right. No one can think of that. No one thinks of that. Like we, we get we get hardcore parkour. So how is that any better? How is it's that not, any better? Exactly the lay person doesn't think right. of like the soul of parkour just because we're not official. Right. Yeah. They think of some bullshit, the most mm-hmm. recent like meme of it. Right. And, yeah. uh, and those are things that, that come with, you know, time. It's just, yeah. it's just a yeah. matter of time. It takes the people in the sport to grow up, grow it out, build right. everything out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's fun that, that no matter what it is, you see that that push and pull. There's always a conservative side that wants to maintain the spirit and maintain what it is and mm-hmm. to say in some ways that we've arrived and I would rather parkour stay exactly the way that it is now forever. And then there's always the more liberal argument that says that, you know, where we're at now is good, but it can be better. It can be greater. It could be something else. It can branch out like you were saying before. Um, and there's that push and pull with anything. And I think that is, that's actually kind of healthy. That's kind of normal. It, it keeps the side from... Uh, the conservative side from keeping things too static yeah. and it keeps the liberal side from from run, running off in crazy directions into right. a wall absolutely i mean that's that's huge i think it's a huge tale of our times right now yeah you know that relates to like everything that's happening in our nation and like across the world yeah um and that's not a new story that's like a that's a story that's repeated itself over and yeah. over again in human history so it's 100 percent. We're, we're a product of our how do you yeah. i mean what's your take on like how we balance those things when they get out of whack. And do you feel like we're on either side of too conservative or too chaotic in the, uh, I think 
I mean, I mentioned like that ebb and flow that there's mm. that there's like a pendulum that swings back and forth. Yeah. And that humanity has its way of uh, course correcting. So mm-hmm. so things will start swinging towards more of a liberal, I guess, if that's what you want to put it, maybe not politically liberal, but like a more expressive and um, a more outdoor, more open um, concept. Free love. Free, yeah. Um, and and then they'll say those are great ideas. Um also, we're, we might be losing something here. And then it, the pendulum will swing back mm-hmm. towards a more conservative, more static, a more, um, you know, structured, grounded idea. And the pendulum just swings back and forth. So you saw that in the elections. Again, not to get political, but with the, the Donald get Trump. Get political, man. Uh, yeah, and, and I don't Who want cares? to because I'm not, I'm not an well, expert on it. But yeah, I'm just, am I, yeah. it's just social commentary that you saw Obama being the pendulum swing in one direction and then Trump being that oh the pendulum swing back. Yeah. And then, and that's just, that's just natural for it to, for it to swing back and forth like that. It's, it is correcting and then overcorrecting and then correcting and then overcorrecting. And, and that's, uh, that is kind of the ebb and flow of yeah. that humanity has always followed. I yeah. Feel. I felt like we overcorrected with Trump. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry again. <laughs> well, we'll see what the other, the next overcorrection will look like. Yeah. In the, in that the would other be, direction. that would be, that'll be interesting we'll to see how this that. develops. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. What is uh, what is um, your your dissertation going to be about? I wanted right. to dive into that a little bit. Yeah, um, we were talking about this, and like I was telling you how I know it relates. So let me sure. just like open that up first, because yeah. you're getting your PhD, yeah, and you have a, a thesis or a dissertation mm-hmm. that you have to defend. Yep, and um, I'd love to hear like what that thesis is. Sure, and this is probably. A- Good practice for my oral defense. Yeah, here we go. Uh, <laughs> so in about a month, I will defend my dissertation. Um, it is uh, titled Working for a Living. Um, and it's uh, how our awareness of death and our ability mm. to die um, influences our work and career decisions. Mm. Um, and uh, it's been about a year and a half of working on this. Everything from you know doing the research from scratch to... Um, you know, getting a sample and running an experiment and then writing it all up. And it's just like part of the process of getting your PhD is to complete a dissertation and defend it. So I'll defend that in March. And then I have a year of residency and then I am done with school, hopefully forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what is, how has the, the death affected your decisions, I guess, would be the first question that comes to mind. Or like, what do you think? How has death affected my decisions? Your work that you're working for a living decisions. Is it like, man, I think for me, it's, it's affected me by wanting to make the most meaning out of work mm-hmm. as possible. Um, humans have always had to work like that is, that's a human universal. Yeah. Go prehistoric pre <laughs> like our ancestors had to work. It was hunting and gathering. It was whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Our ancestors, um, have not always had jobs. Yeah. That is a fairly recent thing yeah. uh, that we've invented um, is the, the employment system, is the job mm-hmm. system, and it's part of a... Um, so for me, it's saying, okay, how do I take work and make it as meaningful as possible? Mm-hmm. So for my ancestors, hunting and gathering was very meaningful because if they didn't hunt, they didn't gather then they would die. That yeah. was the consequence yeah. for not working. <laughs> now you can not work and eh, you find a way to get you by. You can get by. You can get by. You can get by without, work. without working, right? Yeah. Um, because it's it's become more complex. It's become a proxy of itself. So for me, I want to my work to be meaningful, to contribute to humanity potentially in a way that my work outlives me. Mm. That even though I die, 
whatever I did in my lifetime is somehow still helping generations of humans after me. Mm. Um, it's funny that so many of the existentialists out there talk about death and they talk about, um, you know, the, the absurdity of life, given that we're all going to die, but they're all really famous <laughs> and they're all in some ways immortalized, mm. um, by their work and by the fact that we're continuing to have the conversations that they started. Um, so that even though there's a bunch of dead white guys, who were talked about death. And who are these dead white guys? Ironically, existentialists. Yeah. Um, whew, most of them are European, um, starting with Soren Kierkegaard. Mm-hmm. He's kind of what they say is the father of existentialism. Okay. Um, Friedrich Nietzsche is probably, uh, he's lumped into the existentialist. He probably would not call himself an existentialist, but okay. he's in there. Um, Albert Camus, um, one of his most famous quotes is, you know, the only real philosophical problem is whether or not to commit suicide. <laughs> and that's where he, <laughs> that's how he started a book. Right? Yeah. Um, so you wow. can only imagine where that goes yeah, from there. Yeah. Um, Martin Heidegger um, was up there. And then you have um, guys like Irvin Yalom. Is there any dead black um, guys? Like, <laughs> I wish that is there that were part more. Of like, is that part of what you are driven by in some ways? Do you think, or I don't know. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I look at all the, the, you know, the legacy, uh, um, of some of these, like for this philosophical thought and I'm like, man, it'll be <laughs> really cool to like come up with a new idea, like to come up with an idea and flush it out that people haven't thought of mm-hmm. in a way that people are like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Let's keep talking about this. Yeah. And in some ways to be in the history books as like the, the first black <laughs> existential, right? Uh, I mean, there's other, there's like Afrocentric. Um, existentialism, which kind of mm. looks at, you know, the role that colonialism and, and, you know, dominance hierarchies played in, in slavery and those sorts of things. Um, but I, I'm, I'm thinking more, um, more broadly in terms of how I want to approach some of those yeah, things myself. For sure. What, uh, just, I mean, that, I think that's interesting. Cause like what, because do you feel like it would, what's the drive there? Is it like, if I had like, you know, a dead black dude to look up to, maybe it would make me feel more empowered to yeah. do these things. Absolutely. And like, yeah. And, uh, you know, this is, yeah, this has always been a, I mean, this is a hot and touchy subject okay. like for me to dance nearby. You know what I mean? Like, uh, because well, let's dance, my friend, let's dance <laughs> because I feel like we want the same things like, mm. you know, uh, from both sides of the aisle. And then sometimes people feel silly thoughts basically where they feel mm. like someone's against them. If, um, I don't know, actually. Yeah. I don't really know where I was going to go with that. Basically sure. that like, you know, if, if you're, um, I don't actually don't identify as like the, the kind of person who would be against it. So it's kind of hard for me to right. even make the argument, but I know that people would feel, some people feel uncomfortable with the, with, I don't know, maybe I don't. Hmm. The, the idea that people would want to like, oh, there's, you want to be like, why do you have to be black? Why does mm. he have to be, why can't you be inspired by the white guy as right. much? Yeah. And I guess like, it'd be interesting to hear you do- yeah. explain well, first of all, I have been inspired by mm-hmm. a whole heck of a lot of white guys <laughs> um, because that, those are the ones who started the conversations yeah. and then they passed the, that conversation from one generation to, the, to sure. the next. So part of my education and a large part of my self-education, me educating myself, is just learning from people regardless of their, their race, ethnicity, their background. 100%. Right. So I have been inspired by a whole heck of a lot of <laughs> white guys. Yeah. Um, I, I think one thing that happens when we speak the same language, especially is we take for granted that even though we're both speaking English, 
mm. that we're saying the same things. Mm. Um, that what even you... that even though I'm, we're using the same words, that they're coming from the same perspective. So when I get the dead white bearded guy perspective, mm-hmm. it, it's it's one perspective. Uh, it's one language. It's one dialect. It mm-hmm. Might still be English, but it's only it's only one perspective. When you start to broaden, you know, the types of people that you uh, are getting your perspectives from, different mm-hmm. cultures, different religions, different socioeconomic statuses, different, uh, you know, gender sexual <laughs> orientations. Um, what you're doing is you are, you might be still speaking English, but you are translating between these different groups as different perspectives. Mm-hmm. So when I talk about existentialism or, or some big lofty yeah, yeah, idea, sure, sure. right? I am coming at it from a completely different perspective. And if we can meet in the middle, then what we've done is we've translated between, we've connected, mm-hmm. right? So what I would like to see and what would be awesome to be a part of, mm. even if that were a part of the legacy is I, I would love to learn more from, from a woman philosopher, Mm. For philosophy from from women specifically yeah i would love to learn more from because um, it's just not in the conversation right. yet enough really right. like or it, it barely it takes up almost no fraction of the pie right and and i would i would love to learn from other folks of color i would love to learn from people of of religions i haven't heard of before mm-hmm. because until i've done that i will forever have blind spots there mm. might be something in someone else's idea exactly. of the same philosophy that the way that they say it, the way that they can convey it to me, the way that we can connect, yeah. somehow it, it opens up a completely different chapter that I didn't even know existed yeah. yet. And those are the things that I look for. It's sometimes the, feel, the unknown unknowns, right? You don't know what you're looking for, but you find it and you find it in the perspectives of, of people. Um, unlike yourself. Unlike yourself. Hundred percent. No, that makes a lot of sense, and I think I think I kind of see I, what I think people get defensive about, right. like unnecessarily, is that they think that because you seek that out, because you mm-hmm. want the, to be challenged by different perspectives, and because you know I similarly feel the same way. I like I I think I do at least. I mm-hmm. want to like be challenged and experience the whole conversation because right. the whole conversation includes all these people. Right. It doesn't include just people like me. That they feel like they're obligated. To, to seek it out the same thing. Hmm. And I don't think anyone's really saying that. Like, go do you. If you want to close your 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 box and close your mind, right. no one's really going to, like, make you do it, right. I guess. But you really shouldn't be standing in the way. Mm. You know, I don't know if, um, if that resonates. It, it's hard because as soon as you start talking about things like race, which is, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is controversial nowadays. It has mm-hmm. been for decades and maybe centuries. Yeah, millennia. Uh, <laughs> hey, we. I mean, I don't know. I forget like how the evolutionary timeline goes. But <laughs> technically, maybe we were all one color at one time, right? right? And then uh-huh. we went north and lost our pigment, and now yeah, I, I read think something we're is it, different. As a side, I read something <laughs> that was like, like you were you were only ever like seventeenth cousins with the person you least related with, <laughs> based off of like genetic heritage. Yeah, or yeah. So everyone's your cousin. That's not weird. Um. I think anytime that you try to polarize things into an us and them category, yeah, you make things about black or white or, or difference, differences of religion, difference of belief, or any kind of difference, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people's first instinct is to create that us-them 
me other Division. dichotomy. Mm. And what closes the box is the defensiveness that does come up yeah. from pointing out differences, mm. from making them clear. There's a very strong like and human thing about you know wanting getting defensive about wanting to defend what is oneself. Mm. So if you bring that conversation to the wrong place or to the wrong time, you're going to catch someone where they're not ready to hear what you have to say. And, yeah, that, I feel and you. that if, if you create defensiveness, whether you mean to or not, that it's, it's going to close someone up. It's going to close off their box. So then I guess the question becomes like, how do we build these connections and build these bridges and share and point out the similarities and, and get people to understand that? when and how do we know when they're ready to receive these messages you know or how do i know mm -hmm. or does <laughs> does anyone know right very slowly slowly <laughs> clearly the, the, clearly since we've gone back millennia there's no uh there's no several several silver bullet excuse me of course there's no silver bullet we we just do it through the through connections mm. um and you were taking it back to you know well once upon a time we were all the same color yeah um <laughs> humanity has a history of spreading around the world yeah. and in spreading around the world and, and separating in tribes and dividing and dividing and dividing, we came to be the predominant force of the earth. Yeah. Now we're in a position where there's nowhere else to explore outward. We have mm. to explore in, we have to explore within humanity. And mm. you see with the globalization, folks are able to move from point A to point B much easier. I can get on a plane and go to Japan and be there in 20 hours. And that's something that's never been possible in human history before. So we had a phase of division. Mm -hmm. And again, that's part of that ebb and flow. And I personally believe that now that we've spread across the world in such a way that we'll mm -hmm. also come back to, um, to some forms of yeah. uniformity where we can share those things more openly, honestly. But that, it took us a really long time to spread around the world. It's, it's going to take a long mm -hmm. time. To, they say, what is it? When you break up with somebody, it's like <laughs> time and a half of the relationship right. that it takes you to get over it or something. Mm. Yeah. Or at least half time. I forget what it's, it was. And that, that takes it back to death because when you break up with someone, and this might be a side, yeah. you're, you're really losing a part of yourself. Yeah. hundred mm -hmm. percent. You're losing a person, but you're losing the person that you were with them. And that's what you have to mourn. But mm. so, um, that's wild. From, from I've had to mourn parkour. I've had to mourn the, yeah. the former athletic feats of a younger, more, you know, more whatever the people that, you know, when you, when you heard about the Brandon Douglases of the parkour world, like right. that person was mourned <laughs> Yeah, because that is not somebody that I could maintain or sustain anymore. Where, how do you feel you are in that, in that process? Have you, um, I feel like I've made my peace with, with, so much of it that I don't, uh, I still want to do things mm. in that same domain, but it's different. It's not like, it's not coming from a place of <clears throat> challenging myself mm -hmm. for like, I don't, I don't need to know if I can go further anymore in mm -hmm. that domain. Mm -hmm. It's, 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 I need to, I like to express myself in that domain right. still. Yeah. And for a while it was about seeing how far I could take it. Mm. And, um, now if I want to take it further, it's because it's not because 
I feel it's, it's a more of a intrinsic motivation where I'm like, Oh, right. that is something I want to do. Yeah. Whereas before it was like, I'm looking for the thing that's going to push yeah. me in this domain. I took that motivation and then I brought it, you know, into other places mm. because I realized that that motivation for me is about that personal growth mm-hmm. and about like hearing more and different and gaining more perspective, doing different things. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't gaining more perspective doing the same kinds of challenges right. and stuff that I was already really good at. Um, and also my body was breaking down. <laughs> like I could have, if I could have kept challenging myself in that domain, I right. would have, but it was, mm-hmm. it was destroying my body. So do you partly. feel like you answered the question as to how far you could push it then? Yeah. I pushed it right up to the edge of death as far as I was concerned. Mm. And I was telling you, um, I mean, some of the things I've done, like mm-hmm. one of the, the, one of the most iconic things for me that I did was I climbed this up this parking garage mm-hmm. and, um, and that specific challenge I think was in a way where I tried to push myself to the absolute limit mentally. Mm. And for just for whatever reason, it was the challenge that made me right. work the hardest. I spent almost a year figuring out how to go up it and knowing and trusting myself over time to to want to do it right. without you know any kind of safety net, and um, and in a way that it felt comfortable for me to do. Mm-hmm. But I felt like it was it was a real like rite of passage I had set for myself. Like no one mm-hmm. really knew about it but me. But I was like I have to do this. Right. I can't trust myself mm-hmm. with my own life unless I put my life on the line. Interesting is what kind of the way I thought of it, you know? Yeah. And, um, and then once it was complete, I realized that I didn't necessarily, I was very glad it, that I did it the way it went down and everything, but I realized that I don't need to do that again. Yeah. I don't need to put my life over a, you know, a 40 story drop to mm. know, or a 40, excuse me, like a four story drop right. to, to, to feel that feeling, to trust myself. Mm. Um, but I've still done things that, people might think, Oh, well you did that thing after though. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, but that was, then it was a different motivation. And it was like, I just was having fun with it. Now I was like, Oh, I can right. do this. It wasn't about, I already know I can trust myself in that domain now. Yeah. That was when I knew I could do it. I was like, Oh, if I, if I really want to, I can take it to the point where I'm like, I'll try something that I could die doing, but I know I won't. Yeah. So I think one of my questions following that is, do you feel as though you overcame death by overcoming this challenge i felt like i thought i would Mm -hmm. but i didn't yep yeah i felt like that's that's like the perspective i got after i was like oh it doesn't change anything yep i was like oh nope nope nothing happened really (laughs) nothing really happened i uh i did the thing that i thought was going to make me change and feel like i overcame my death Mm -hmm. and then i realized nope Nope. That's not really what, I, how it works. You mean if I don't, if I climb four stories, I don't become immortal? What, what, <laughs> yeah. What's that about? No, yeah. That was like, yeah, it was some some strange kind of like, because like yeah. you said, the hunter gathering, like we used to have to work. So now we don't have to. So mm-hmm. we have to invent our own challenge. Right. We have to invent our own path forward yep. and to see what we're made of. And uh, that was like well, something I came up with. Yeah, that was that was <laughs> one of the ways that you were coping with, yeah. you know, what we call mortality salience or death anxiety mm. from uh, the frame of terror management theory, TMT. Mm. So please it, explain. Or if I mean, yeah. if you can, I don't know, yeah. for the layman here. Well, I mean, so, try to make it as brief as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes from the work of a man by the name of Ernest Becker. Mm. Uh, is one of his uh, Pulitzer so Pulitzer Prize winning books uh, was the the denial of death, and he wrote that pretty much all that humanity is doing um, is trying to find ways 
uh, to cope with the fact that we die, yeah. that, we, that we that we are on the planet the only species that can understand abstractly mm. that we die. We're not the only species that mourns or that understands loss, mm-hmm. um, but we are the only ones that can see it coming, visualize in our mind <laughs> this this thing called death. And then we have to we have to cope with that. That that's something we have to cope with because it's not like a tiger which I can fight or a threat that I can run from because yeah. there's no fighting or flighting from death. So all of our reptilian mm. tools for yeah. dealing with death or for, for dealing with threat does not work with death. What about so, those mammalian tools? Any there? There's, there are some there. <laughs> there there are some tools in our frontal lobes <laughs> okay. uh, that. We use in some. And then of we have the primate tools, <laughs> and then we have the human. Is there like a is there like a third, fourth, fifth layer on that? There's at least four layers that I can think yeah. of with top of my head. <laughs> um, but so that every everything you're doing from this podcast mm-hmm. to the job that you work to you, you know your legacy, you're trying to find ways of coping with the fact that you're going to die. One yeah. way that we do that is um, we try to symbolically transcend death, mm. right? So. I want to create something that's going to outlive me is because creating a legacy yeah, yeah. is one way that I can continue to live yep. even when I am biologically no longer alive. Mm. Um, and that's kind of where we come up with religions and cultures and monuments and all these governments and systems that we've created because they're all this collective attempt for us all to transcend this reality of our own death. Yeah, um, And it, it gets pretty interesting the ways that it can influence a person's decisions um even mostly subconsciously that it's most studied yeah what what do you think that is is that something that's programmed into us because if it wasn't then you know maybe there'd be more of us that would commit suicide Mm -hmm. you know and answer yes to that that the first stage question or whatever just like eh, fuck it not worth it is it right you know like do you think it's something that is a part of the fabric of uh of you know carbon life or something hmm. that we have to like because things grow like plants grow things everything kind of evolves and changes mm-hmm. and so sometimes i think it's like even as we come and we spread across the earth and we're now we're going inward and and finding our humanity again in some mm-hmm. ways maybe we'll even dig deeper beyond that we'll start to have to you know we're seeing it in some yeah. ways people are saying like oh we're connecting with plants and stuff and mm. the, the forests are calling us with <laughs> mushrooms and psychedelics and dmt right. and we're they're trying to bring consciousness even back further mm-hmm. into a you know I'm, I'm just curious like what you um what, what you think of that like is it something that's why do we need to transcend our own death so there is it the only answer to not committing suicide so if if i was going to go back to you know albert camus quote um and how he went about answering that is that um our answer should be some sort of rebellion against this thing Mm. that that there is this absurdity of life Mm -hmm. in in the face of death uh but that rebellion is is the only like good answer that that fuck you right oh you're gonna kill me right oh yeah well check this out see if i'm dead after i do that all this awesome stuff right yeah and then that and then that is part of the human condition that we have to live with Mm. um so i mean it goes back to very basic fight or flight right anytime there's a threat that you perceive you're gonna want to fight it or flight it or you freeze Mm. um which is another you know branch of that but um and death is one of those threats 
that we have initially a fight or flight response to, a very subtle one, mm. uh, but it, it polarizes us and it pushes us in extremes. And I think that that is actually probably one of the psychological drivers that you know put human beings at the top of the quote unquote food chain in the first mm-hmm. place, is that we recognized um, that our mortality was something that we had to in some ways transcend Mm. And then we started writing things down and then we started passing on stories orally and then we started forming civilizations and we started saving our surplus food. And, and this snowball effect has, you know, taken us from maybe like middle of the pack on the food chain to to slowly creeping up because we've been able to pass those things on. So even though we've had, we have all these attempts that we make in our lives to make our lives meaningful and purposeful. And I'm of the, I'm of the school of existential thought that, um, things are either meaningless or meaningful. And I think that, I think that things are more painfully meaningful. I think that everything is so painfully meaningful that it's just like easier to try to believe that it's, uh, yeah. it's not as, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. Cause if you, yeah, if you think one thing matters, why wouldn't everything yeah, matter yeah. in a way? And, mm-hmm. If everything, if everything matters so much, then like, I'm going to be really, I'm going to be paralyzed about everything that I do because I, oh, if I make this one decision, it's going to completely change the course of my life. Mm. And that's like, that's a lot of responsibility and it it's takes courage and bravery. hundred percent. Yeah. To get into that fight mode instead of the flight mm-hmm. yeah, or the freeze or, or to find other strategies like finding ways of being mindful mm. of maybe not relying so much on that fight or flight, but finding ways of making meaning out of life and finding ways of grounding some of those, um, more base instincts and yeah. using the, the big fat frontal lobes of our brain that we do have. Yeah. And it's what I think is strange too, is like, I guess what that is sometimes is you want to make an impact across a wider number of people, Mm. therefore maybe making more of a legacy, more, you helped more people. Maybe like what I think sometimes, this is a weird theory, but what I think um, is the reason why it might be programmed in for you to want something is like, if you do provide a huge benefit Mm. for, for all these people for years to come, then then there should be some kind of like feeling of goodness in that, you yeah. know, like, look what I did. Like if with, without it, cause you, everyone's going to make an impact hmm. in, in a way. Like you, you know, I'm, I remember my grandfather still, of course, mm-hmm. you know, he's long gone, all my grandparents. And, um, but you know, if you want to make that past your kin right. kind of, and you know, your friends of friends and mm-hmm. stuff, your, your network, there's need, there almost needs to be some kind of reason to strive for that. Right. You know, yeah. um, but I don't know if that's why or not, but you know, I feel it too. I feel it too. I'm like, I, I want to be doing things that, that make the generations going forward, like right. and, better. And I, I'll be crass in some ways and saying that that is not an entirely selfless, selfless endeavor, mm. but that it's not entirely selfish as well. Yeah. Yeah. That, that there's this part of me that also that has a will to power mm. that has a will to want to make what I am the most that it can be to self-actualize. Yeah. But recognizing that I am not self-made and that the process of self-actualization requires 
that other people also, you know, build me up and make me strong and support me. Yeah. And then once I'm in a place of power, then I can be that person to support yeah. others. So it's not being collectivist or individualist. Mm. It's being both. And that mm. is really difficult for a lot of people to navigate. Yeah. This is the, this is this age of the sign of our times. I feel like this is the mm. biggest conversation that we're going to be having for probably the next few decades is mm -hmm. like trying to bring people out of that polarity and into like this nuanced, yeah. you're everything. You're right. all the things you're, you're multidimensional and like maybe you're, maybe your legacy, maybe you're not Conor McGregor, you know, right. with this huge fucking legacy that he's going to go down in, yeah. in the MMA history books for all of time. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're Conor McGregor's father, right. Who, who was able to love and provide the kind of environment yep. that created the Conor McGregor, mm -hmm. you know? And sometimes that's like, without recognizing that you will, you, you miss out on yeah. maybe a, and a meaningfulness mm -hmm. that is there for you in life. Yeah. And I think that's ironic in some ways, because when you do study a lot of like the quote unquote great thinkers of mm. history, you recognize that they were not great thinkers in their time. They weren't mm. really acknowledged for their great thoughts until they had already passed away and other people came back and revisited their work. Ah, uh, yeah. Right. Pe people hated Socrates because he just went around <laughs> telling everyone that they were wrong. Yeah. Like that's an oversimplification, but now we, now he's you can't, most revered yeah, philosopher of all time. You can't look at a philosophy 101 book yeah. with, or course without him, his name popping up every two seconds. Uh, Friedrich Nietzsche was another person who was really controversial in the way that he approached a lot of his ideas. And he was a product of his time in a lot of ways, but he would go on to influence so many other people past his mm. death that he would never himself be able to see the results of. Mm. I wonder how, how some of those folks would have, if they were cognizant and alert to see the impact that they had, that they didn't know that they were having in their lifetime. Yeah, um, And that's the kind of faith or belief that I think that makes life meaningful. It's like, I don't know the kind of impact that I'll have. I may not even see the fruits of my labor, but all yeah. I can do is sow the seeds. That's, yeah, that's huge is because like then you decide the mission right that's like that's the most important thing yeah. about that is like you're not really doing it for the actual legacy like if you're like oh god i have to be remembered for something <laughs> right like that'll just drive you fucking straight off a cliff mm. you know it's like what do you actually want to be what do you want your legacy to be right you know mm -hmm. and then let the chips fall where they may right um and that, and that I talk about things like theoretically, like that's how we in science or whatever, like mm -hmm. go about explaining it. Most people aren't actually thinking that over in their head. That's the process that we're trying to explain, like uh, that people aren't probably actually consciously going, I need to create a legacy, but yeah. maybe there's something subconscious in them that's saying like, you know, yeah, I bet if you made it, if you created a legacy, you could be immortal somehow. Like, <laughs> like, like Yo, just real quick. Just, uh, I don't you know, know if you figured, know this, but you should probably figure this out. But, um, so yeah, it's, it's all analogy. It's all, it's all, it's fun to play with a lot of these ideas and you spend too much time in a psychology department and you'll dig up some crazy stuff. Yeah, psychology is pretty new as far as the sciences go still, right? Yeah. And so actually. like there's a lot to explore there and there's a lot that I think it's going to be Yeah. pretty wild as it goes forward. Yeah, it's What do you what yeah. do you feel like is the how do you tap into like that what you know is you when you're making that that legacy for yourself or you're deciding like what you want to do move forward? Is there something you mentioned um I I might have twisted around but mm. like some kind of faith in that and like what how do you trust yourself to know that like this is the path for me hmm. and and not any other path it yeah there's some things that 
kind of feel right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is a, like a super subjective and not a very, uh, not super, not a very satisfying. We were talking earlier about, you know, how one of my principles is, you know, authenticity. Mm. Um, and so part of my story was also kind of experiencing a career death of track and field. Mm. Um, and having that have been my, like one of the things that I got huge value of, but I knew that my track and field career was ending when my college career ended. Mm. So I was mourning the death of my track career while I was still running track. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and had an opportunity to look at psychology and say, how do I marry my experience of track and field with this thing of psychology? And that led me down performance and sports psychology and health psychology and exploring all of these different avenues. And I found a way to make sense of it. Mm. And once I did that, that felt right. Mm. And then I can continue to build on that. And if I can continue to build on that within myself, then maybe what I've built on within me can transcend me. Mm. Um, so I, I feel like there's any number of directions that a person could go. And at some point, uh, one has to take something of a leap of faith yeah. that the direction that you're on is one worth taking and be willing to course correct when necessary, but also, um, know that you don't have to have the answer yeah. to, to what, to what your journey needs to look like. You just need to experience the It journey. only looks like your journey in, in rear view. Yeah. In you know what I mean? You're like, yeah. Oh yeah, this is my journey. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, when you're living it, you're just kind of <laughs> unbelievably, you know, I mean, it's great when you feel that strong sense, stronger sense of drive mm-hmm. and like, Oh, this is, you know, what you want yeah. in, in every moment, but sometimes you are taking more of those leaps of faith mm-hmm. and that's like, what's the fun of it? Yeah. And, and you, sometimes you know what you want, but you, don't you know, know what that looks like. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I might feel, I might feel hungry, but I don't really know what I want to eat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's like, uh, yeah, exactly. You have to play with it in your mind. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, I can do this. I could do that. Right. Oh. And maybe you get a hot dog and it doesn't sit so well with the, you. Right. But guess what? You get another appetite. Yeah. Don't worry about don't, it. Don't worry. You're going to get hungry You're not going to get the hot dog next time. And, yep. and like just mm-hmm. the learning of that lesson was worth not, was worth, was it. worth not making the, de- or was worth making the decision. Absolutely. Whereas like past you could have just been like, sitting there still like, <laughs> hot dog oh, i'm just gonna just fast Salad. hot dog oh fuck fast fasting for, might be for nice. three weeks on accident because yeah. you, <laughs> you can't decide what to eat just bulletin sheaf just like mm-hmm. not know sharing not knowing yeah. what you want to eat but i i know that if i compared myself now and the vision and the clarity that i have in terms of what i want to myself five years ago and then julian five years before that and so on and so forth mm. that there's a there's a thread of yeah. consistency mm that ties it all together, but that it's still radically different Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of how I want to go about manifesting it. And I can imagine that myself five years from now, um, there will still be that thread of consistency, but that it will, it will have evolved. It will have changed and I will have changed with it. hundred percent change. It's, it's scary stuff. It's good yeah, stuff. It's, and I, I like being scared. That's why I do parkour. Yeah, me too, man. <laughs> yeah. Do you take your training like outside, um, into like hide stuff? And do you really like to get into that side of it yet or not, not to encourage you to do so, so but yeah. I'm just curious. Cause if we share these kinds of same traits, I'm like, you're in, you're in for it. You're basically. In I'm for like, it. let you know, this is, the road ends at, death drops and whatever sometimes <laughs> in, in descents. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, I, I think I might've missed the descent trend. Hey. I, I, I think I get my fix still from being at height mm. and checking out a weird, like a, a pre, like I'm, I'm not yet to the stage where 
um, moving outside of the gym is necessary for me to get mm-hmm, to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's always the voice in my head that yeah. says, do, do you really know, do you really need to be able to do descents in order to like do a speed course? The descent thing is so strange. <laughs> the descent thing is just out of nowhere. It's such a sandy word. Yeah. I actually really like it. I, and we've been talking about, uh, yeah, I don't, I used to think eight foot bar precision. Mm. I remember I could think back to when I was like, man, that is insane. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever be able to do that. <laughs> Like an eight foot bar for just an at eight feet high mm-hmm. off the ground. Yeah. And to go to be where I'm at now and standing yeah. and like looking at that kind of jump and just being like, you know, that's like, that's the power of change and embracing yeah. that change and not, you know, yeah. being afraid of it. But, um, what was I going to say? Oh, you just reminded me, like I, I, I had this idea for a company mm. that I like might be doing is, send is the name mm. like sender and it's like it, it's for this this idea of where you ascend up things you descend down things like mm-hmm. the depths of your darkest fears or whatever mm. and like challenges or the ascent but then eventually the goal is that transcension of mm. of of either either of those things and become bigger than than what you're doing you you transcend it transcend it oh my gosh transcend that's, it that's that's good that's good i actually really like that <laughs> so i'm hopefully going to be launching something along those lines sooner than later i really wish i didn't say anything about it actually oh, no. now I put, uh, but i'm glad out. i did i'm glad i did because now i gotta fucking you, back that you, shit up you spoke it you and spoke I it now spoke it baby hey if you're listening to this brandon douglas just gave you a great idea you better steal it but <laughs> sure, right i gotta now. get that trademark right now <laughs> I get it now. file for it right now oh man but, yeah i don't think i'll be doing descents anytime soon. of course i say that and the first thing they do is put a descent into a speed course and it throws off my mental and everything's wrong but <laughs> um i think you'd be surprised how easy they are yeah I think I think there's a lot of things like, that that's the case. Yeah, exactly, right. They, they, they're hard until they're not, and then it makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I'm always like, is this something that's going to help me? Like, like I've looked at tricking, I've looked at like doing all kinds of cool flips and stuff, and I'm like, that looks cool. Is that gonna? How is that gonna help me? You know, be good at that this speed thing. How do I run faster? Like, yeah, like if I can stride well, it, then uh, do I really need to know how that, to kong? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, you'd be surprised. Yeah, sometimes the speed courses and stuff, it's weird because they fluctuate right. with the times. Like, all right, it's descents are a thing now. So mm-hmm. now everyone needs to learn how to do that. Um, but yeah, I'm wondering what the through lines are for like, you know, what, what that thread's going to look like in speed courses in, yeah. in a decade or two. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, what do you think um, for people out there, what, do you, what has worked for you? You know, I think we could both share some tips even on like how to prepare yourself for competition and doing well. Yeah. In a, in a parkour speed comp at least. Yeah. What has helped for me, what allowed me to compete at the level that I did with so little experience and being so naive and being new to the culture and new to everything Mm. was knowing what my strengths were and being willing to play by them. Mm. Um, Because you'll see other people run the same course and they'll do it their way and they'll have very specific hand placement, foot placement and, and technique. And, and I am thinking to myself, how much of this course can I stride? Because I know that's my strength. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So someone might go in for like a cool dive Kong. And I'm, if I tried to do the same thing, I, I was, it would not, I have a bloody nose. It would not be good. There would be, there would be issues. Right. I knew what my strengths were yeah. and I was willing to play by them. And then I can go back to the, to the drawing board later and, you know, take care of my areas for growths and weaknesses, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. as they become aware to me. 
But yeah, you, some people get caught up in like, oh, what's it going to look like when I run it? Yeah, what's I'm, the move I'm going to do? And it's like, well, how fast are you going to do it? Because that's the point yeah, right I, now. I gave up on trying to be pretty at parkour. I am, <laughs> I am, I will be ugly at parkour, but I, I hope I'll still be fast. Um, so if you, if that's the advice to give, is you have strengths, you have things right now that you are better at than others, and if you're looking at what it looks like to to just jump in and to participate, it's be knowledgeable of those strengths and be willing, be willing to use them. Don't mm-hmm. th- th- be unapologetic about the way that you do the things that you're good at. hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's a, uh, that's definitely part of what worked for me. I was like, I can send, I can send. I was like, I'm willing to ragdoll myself more than some of these guys. So I'll do it. And, uh, and you can see that in the, yeah. in the, whatever the NAPC, like, what is it, what is it called? The infamous, infamous one. Yeah. I eat shit on the first course. Like <laughs> as I'm hitting the finish line, I fall off. Cause I'm just like willing to be a little bit they, out of control. They edited that out. I think they did. They, they cut it off. They right cut me as it. I was like falling to the, it looked like I fell into the foam pit. That was a little bit unnatural. Like we mm. don't do that anymore in competition. Mm-hmm. Like it just swiping your hand at something just right. doesn't really make sense for got, got lasers now. For, yeah. That's like a way better <laughs> stuff. But, um, but yeah, like I think that's huge. Yeah. It's like, don't be apologetic about it. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's something that you have to get out of your own way. That imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. that, that that's something that's very real. But, um, yeah. What, what would your piece of advice be? Um, one of the things that really worked for me was at least initially was have fun. Hmm. Like it's important that I, tr- as I got better and I started to get like, all right, this is the, I actually could see myself winning. Mm-hmm. Um, then it changed a little bit, you know, because I knew that like, all right, if I could put my best run down, mm-hmm. that's important to me. Yeah. Um, but initially it was just like, try to have the biggest smile on hmm. this whole day. Yeah. And like, try to really enjoy yourself in competition because I, I often perform better when I'm stoked, believe it or not, you right. know, like if I'm, I'm excited about what I'm doing and sometimes I would, I would cheat the, I would gain the system a little bit. I would wear like goofy pants. Like I, <laughs> I, in Tempest games, there mm-hmm. was like this old competition in, uh, in 2013 that was called the Tempest games. Right. I wore like these leopard print, like harem <laughs> pants because I just didn't want people to take me seriously. Interesting. Even though I was taking it seriously, yeah, I kind of yeah, like yeah. cheated. I was like, no one's going to take me seriously. I right. got to like fly under the radar a little bit. Yeah. Take the pressure off myself by like, mm-hmm. I'll look ridiculous so I can like apply myself without people being like, what's this guy? Like trying too hard. You know, right. like, I'm just like, no, I just, I like take the, my own pressure off. And I started to really tap into like when I could catalog when I felt like my performance was good. Hmm. The right amount of nervous, mm-hmm. not too nervous, not bored right. of, of what's going on. Physiologically, Excited. Nervous, yeah. No, yeah, nervousness and excitement are the same emotion. And um, yeah, I just decided, you know, once I podiumed once that yeah. I should try to podium every time. And I should try to put down my best run. Right. And I should always go after the gold you yeah. know and the one time I, the only time i regretted anything in competition was when i didn't do that mm. i like played it safe on this one route and um that was partly because i got injured yeah so i didn't really like want to do it the same way anymore but well that's that's helpful because uh i've been on some podiums but never at the national or international level so well i got in the game when it was real like (laughs) uncompetitive so Uh, you're 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 facing probably stiffer competition than you know every year it gets harder and harder uh this this year's gonna be so much fun because i i can just imagine the the talent that's gonna be there and 
gets you going. Like I got months I'm before this super thing. Hyped I'm, for this. I'm yeah, really man. Hyped. You're already qualified, or do you have to qualify for NABC? Still? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a, on any like pre-qualifying thing that I know of. Mm-hmm. Um, I there's a few of the regional qualifiers that I'll be visiting. The one of them is in Denver, so that's super convenient. Um, I qualified last year in Fort Collins. Um, by getting first there. So it's just saying, um, I might, I might visit two or three of them so that even if I qualify, like I still get some more experience under experience my belt. Experience is huge. Yeah. That is huge. Yeah. That's another pro tip. It's like, if you're not doing classes, mm-hmm. you're going to feel that imposter syndrome goes away with yeah. exposure. You know, right. like the more you do it, the more you just like, I feel comfortable here. I don't yeah. really give a shit. So just doing it over and over again is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Getting used to that adrenaline because mm-hmm. even with time trials, classes and courses and like running speed courses, I don't have that same level of adrenaline. Mm-mm. And so even if I'm competing at 80, 90, 100%, just like enough that I'm at my maximum capacity, but I'm still in control, then that adrenaline comes in and hits you like a ton of bricks and you were running at 120% and you feel out of control. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where the experience comes in. And um, hopefully I'll qualify one of those and uh, take it from there. Hell yeah. What about the actual course? Do you run it full through? few times do you like take little beats like i'd always set little checkpoints for myself mm. i'd be like i have to hit my left foot here yeah i only set like three to five because you know any more than that i'm not going to remember i need mm. to be able to improvise and just tank mode yeah but i'm like okay that's a beat i have to hit right foot here i have to hit both feet on that or yeah. i have to like come in with my feet split this way mm-hmm. and then once i had like things like the rest was just like try harder <laughs> try, the whole time try. like just Effort, effort, yeah, effort, yeah. effort. Determination. Yeah, you know, effort towards the next checkpoint. Right. Um, I definitely sometimes have beats for things that I absolutely need to execute a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, people who train with me make fun of me sometimes, and I make fun of myself, because I will literally have steps, and I will say verbally as I'm doing it, right foot, <laughs> left foot, right, left, right, right, oh, yeah. because I, I want to make sure that I'm optimizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm looking at a course for the first time, I'm breaking it into like a story. There's a beginning, there's a middle yeah. and an end. And I'll look at the beginning and I'll see like, okay, what's the beginning of the story look like? And I'll try mm-hmm. to work it through. And I'll say, there's a middle. Okay. What is that story? And I'll work it through. And then at the end, I don't know if I'll run an entire course because I don't want to gas myself. See, so completely. that's one thing I would recommend. Hmm. You don't have to go full sprint, but I would go through, I would always go through the entire course at mm. least once or twice mm-hmm. because I think it's important to feel yeah. the entire length of the course yeah. to feel like, am I going to be winded? Should I take a breath here instead of, <laughs> yeah. you know, am I going to like need a breath in yeah. some, at some point, or can I give more effort and actually mm. get away with it? Or, um, just when you start running things mm-hmm. without lining them all together, right. I felt like that was very helpful. Actually, oh. like it was every time I would make sure I have to go through start to finish. Cause that was the other thing I trained mm-hmm. myself. Cause you're going to make a mistake. Yeah. It's like, where am I going to make the mistake? And I need to be on myself to yep. make sure I don't hesitate and like think about it. I'm like, keep going. Just yep. go, 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 go. Yeah, that I can resonate with. And I think it is helpful. That is that is good advice to me because mm. I'm coming from, a, again, a track and field mindset where I'm like, I'm not going to run the whole full 400 before <laughs> I run a 400. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to hate myself. Yeah, I know. Okay, it's it's be, very different, right? It's terrible, right? You know you have the technique already. <laughs> right. Where the course, it's like, what does it feel like to transition from the first, the mm. middle of the story to the end of the story mm-hmm. is, you know, and then I think that can be really helpful. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take that with me in the next competition. I'll I hope it, it works for you, man. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, dude, 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 this has been, <laughs> this has been amazing. I think uh, that was, is it an entire 
Was this a dick-free episode? It was a dick-free episode. <laughs> what? This is oh, this is no. the postscript on the episode. We don't have to talk. We can talk about it now if you want. You know. Yeah. Oh man. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, my friend. Sometimes it's a big dick in your so, mouth. Sometimes. Sometimes it's that's a favorite George Carlin quote. Like, oh, yeah, right? sometimes it's, yeah, he was just say sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. He's like, oh yeah, well sometimes it's a big sometimes. brown dick. Freud second like big i don't know i've never seen a cigar that big but (laughs) let's uh (laughs) uh this has been fun this has been a pleasure much yeah man me too i really enjoyed it i definitely want to have you back on whenever um you feel free and and are available and you also have your own podcast is there anywhere that we can point listeners to oh man i have so many different projects um one of them is the hustle and thrive podcast seeing what that make what makes sense for that if you want to check out a little bit more about me and what I do, you can go to finityfitness.com. Um, that's where I run a lot of my, my health coaching stuff. That's how I try to make money outside mm. of being a poor, broke college student. <laughs> um, so that's F-I-N-I-T-Y, fitness.com. It's me and my team there. Um, it's like instead of infinity, it's finity. It's like it's like finite. That. Your yeah. life is valuable. So let's, let's I like get, that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, man. See, we, yeah. we both have some good names, yeah. mm-hmm. at least. You yeah, know? but I already trademarked mine. I'm uh, like, well, <laughs> I don't have to publish this until, you know, whenever. No, so. that's true. Uh, oh, right man. now, you're the only person that can fuck my dream up. That's, <laughs> don't worry. Uh, I'm not, not interested in that quite yet. All right, good. Um, but, um, and then underscore julian fraser underscore on instagram dope uh, and i'll put all that in description too yeah yeah i'll make sure sure that's in there the links for you guys um yeah man much much pleasure definitely come back on and i'll let the we'll let the gangs play us out again one more time play us out i just won't (laughs) fly all right gang we love you thanks for listening this has been great we'll see you soon All right, that was a an episode, all right. You know what I'm saying? That was a real episode right there. I don't know because I'm just recording this ender, and I don't even know exactly how that went because I haven't listened to it yet. But you guys just did, and I'm about to. So hopefully it went real well, and I hope you guys dug it. I'm sure that if you didn't, we'll figure it out. So if you guys can check out the description, make sure you subscribe, do all that shit. You know what's up. You know because you listened to things like this before and you just know. And if you don't know, the fuck you doing? You know what I mean? Why even? You're not listening then. You're not even listening. So you just have noise on in the background, which, you know, that's okay. Some people like that, that, that some people need it to go to sleep. It is what it is. But chances are you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's all in the description. I really appreciate you guys being here. Much love. We'll see you next week.